Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Catherine Parthenidis, a trainer in New York City. At the age of 30, facing the health challenges of both her parents, she finds out that she is adopted. Even amid the pain of losing her parents and this life-altering discovery, she finds a way toward acceptance of her life and, more importantly, herself. Please welcome Catherine Parthenidis. Welcome, Kat, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? Oh, that's a tough question. One of the major events that kind of changed my outlook is finding out that I was adopted at the age of 30. My parents at the time, when I found out, were basically at the end of their life. I found a bunch of documentation that said that I was adopted. And from that moment, it basically changed my whole perspective of my life because I remember growing up with a lot of love, but I always felt kind of misplaced, like something was missing in my life. And I couldn't really figure out what that was. But the moment I found out the truth, that's when I kind of became who I am today. And that was one major event. Can you tell us how long ago that was? I found that out at 30. I'm 37 now. So it was about seven years ago. So I would imagine that when you find something that huge out at such a late stage in one's life, that there is this kind of winding back the tape, so to speak, mentally, where you go back over time and you start to re-examine every aspect of your life because you found out that everything that you had believed is not true. When that happened, what were the things that really struck you? Like, oh, that made sense about why I felt this way or perhaps raised more questions. I think that the key thing, because there was a lot going on in that moment in time, like I was looking at my parents, my dad literally just got taken away in an ambulance and they told me, you know what, he's not going to make it. But my baba, my father being the way he was, he's stubborn. He did make it at that time. There was just so many things going on in my head. I had a hard time to actually focus on the adoption part. I was just focused on trying to support my parents as best as I can as an only child. I had no family around to really help out other than my wife now at the time. She was my fiance and she did the best she could to help balance out the care for both of my parents. But there were moments in growing up, especially as a teenager, when my parents would just look at me and say, where did you come from? We didn't raise you like this. When I used to hear that, I used to feel like, well, I mean, this is who I am, right? So fast forward a little bit, I did get into contact with my biological family. And at that point in time, I finally felt that I was at home with myself. 
with the universe in a sense, because when I met my biological family, that's where I belong in a sense. And it has nothing to do with the adoptive side, like not loving me or anything like that. I grew up in a beautiful home. I had a beautiful life, but it was just this innate connection the behaviors that they used to question. And I look at my biological father and I'm like, oh, that's where that comes from. (laughs) And then I grew up in a very conservative home in a sense. My household was a little bit more on the conservative sense. So as you're rewinding this tape back and when you just gave us that example of your adoptive parents looking at you and saying, where did you come from? I mean, now in hindsight, that's a really loaded question, right? That They were saying that to you, I'm assuming, because they assumed that they were never going to tell you that you were adopted, right? So that there would be no question as to where you belonged. Exactly. They had no intentions. So did that start to raise a lot of not just questions about your parents and your family life, but also a certain amount of resentment that they had kept something so huge a secret from you? I think now where I am right now, when you ask me this question, I've come to terms with the reasoning why they did not, because they didn't want me to feel that I was never not wanted by anybody, I believe. I think that's their intentions, because my mom and my dad, before they passed, they told me they never wanted to tell me. So that was their intentions. But I did ask them, which is funny, when things started getting really hard with balancing my personal life, my work life, and taking care of both parents being sick. I was about the age of 25 or so. It was right before I met my wife now. And I asked my mom, am I adopted? I just felt it. I don't know exactly what it was. You know, I asked, you know, Mama, am I adopted? And she looks at me and she goes, of course you're not adopted. You have my potato nose. Oh. We did have similar features. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So then fast forward like a month later and I have this itch again. This time I'm with my father. I said, hey, Baba, am I adopted? And he goes, of course you're not adopted. We both have the same cheeks when we're babies. And if you look at my photo as a baby, my dad's photo, we do look very similar. And most people used to tell me, you know, wherever I go, oh, you look Greek because my last name is Partignadis. So I was like, oh, okay. So then those two moments, I kind of was like, all right, you're just crazy, Catherine. And there was always something there. I just couldn't figure out what it was. And then when I found the documentation, that's when I finally felt at ease in a sense, even though I found it hurtful that they did lie. (laughs) But like I said, I think where I'm at now in the point of my life, I came to terms with it. I'm assuming that once you found out and your parents both passed, it kind of gave you the freedom to try to piece together your history in a sense. Did you find out all the information that you needed to know about your adoption? Were you able to piece together all of that information for yourself to kind of put, I guess, the puzzle pieces in place for your own sake, emotionally and mentally? Well, what I found at that point in time was an envelope with my original birth certificate with my biological mother's name, where it said father was left blank. And everything is in Portuguese, by the way. So I also had to translate a lot and figure things out. But I wasn't left with that much information, to be honest. There was no like adoption service, I guess, at least not that I found in the documentation. Part of me thinks that they got rid of a lot of paperwork to minimize the chances of me finding it earlier. Because what I found was just like the original birth certificate, my, I guess my, my upgraded, lack of a better term, birth certificate with my parents' name, uh, Celia and Constantine, that was also in there and a lawyer check of like 850 bucks. And that's all I had. <laughs> so 
it was in, it was interesting trying to figure out like who this biological family of mine is. And I literally have just a name, which is a very common name in Brazil, in Portuguese. Her name is Ana. So, you know, and her last name is also very common. So it became very difficult for me to find any information. So were you born in Brazil or you were born in the... Yes. Oh, you were born in Brazil. Okay. And I was born in Brasilia. Yep. Ah. And I knew that because growing up, uh. my father was Greek. My mother was Brazilian. And the story that they told me was they tried to have a baby for like 16 years and now it was the miracle baby. And instead of having me here in the States where my mom had no family, they decided to take my mom to Brazil to be around family so she can give birth there and then she'll have some support and then she'll come back to the States. And that's the story they told me, which made sense at the time. That's kind of how they reworked that story. And that's what I believed for most of my life. And you don't really know why they created this kind of fiction and then continued to try to convince themselves and you of this fiction for all those years. One of the things I got from an aunt is my no, no, my godfather. He basically wanted to raise me like I was part of the family and he didn't want anyone to know. So no one knew other than the immediate family, like obviously my parents, my godparents and my aunt and uncle that I grew up with, you know, that I spent most of my time with. So that was just his way of doing it. I think back in the day, adoption was always more of like a hush-hush thing, if that makes any sense. Your mother is Brazilian, your father is Greek. I think that there's, in certain parts of the world, things like this happen and families don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, did you ever regret finding out on some level or were you just really grateful that you did find out? That's a tough question. I think initially I was so overwhelmed with knowing that I was going to lose my parents, then eventually dealing with grief that I wish I didn't have to deal with the adoption part of my life. I found it to be very overwhelming, to be very honest. I did a great job in hiding those feelings from people because I felt weird and I felt sometimes almost ashamed that I didn't know. Meanwhile, my whole family knew I was adopted, but not one person ever said anything. There was a lot of resentment towards my parents, honestly. I'm not going to lie about that. But because of their illness, and I was literally looking at my father on his last months and weeks, I couldn't come at him with that kind of negativity and resentment. What I wanted for myself and for my father was to be with more love. So I took a lot of that pain that I felt and I kind of just shoved it aside and pretended it didn't exist for a while until I felt ready to start searching. And that took me about on and off three years or so. During that process of going through grief, I'm imagining a double grief because you lost both your parents in short order. And then more importantly, finding out this huge revelation about your life. I'm assuming that the grief took center stage first and foremost, but how did you also weather all of the other emotional stuff that these two events, you know, it's kind of like the perfect storm, right? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat. I uh, <laughs> I drank a lot. I um, made poor decisions for my health. And I believe that if I didn't have the love support of my wife, I don't know if I would be having this conversation with you today, to be honest, because I was in such a bad place. I felt like I crawled underneath like a rock in a hole and I didn't want to move. But life still goes on. That was one of the things my father always used to tell me when I would have a hard time. He's like, you know, sweetheart, life goes on. 
no matter what. You know, when I'm not here, life goes on. That kind of looped in my head. First, it was very light, that voice of my father, because I was just so overwhelmed. But as time went by, healing, at least with grief in my personal life, things started to get louder for me. Luckily, what was getting louder was my father's voice and actually doing something. Because I was raised to always be a go-getter, not to just kind of sit around and wait for something to happen, you know? But being so hurt and lost and lonely, like I had no siblings, I had no cousins that were close by that I had like a really close relationship with. And one day I just got tired of my, uh, I got tired of my own shit, to be honest. I felt horrible. I just got tired of feeling that way. So I started taking steps to align in being healthier for myself because another key thing was my parents would not want me to be like that. They wanted me to be happy, healthy, live a good life, have a purpose. And as much as I loved doing what I do for work, which was at the time personal training and massage therapy and providing a service in health for people, I realized I had to start taking care of myself first. And that's when things started to change for the better. What I heard when you were just talking about your father's voice being faint during the really dark period and then his voice getting louder, the thing that I heard in your voice, it sounded like somebody who was loved deeply. I could tell that you were loved deeply by them. A thousand percent. And I'm sure that only makes it more complicated with this story, because in a way, if they hadn't raised you with so much love and concern and care, that it would almost be easier to deal with the duplicity, you could almost say, well, they didn't really love me that much. Therefore, it made complete sense that they would lie to me for my entire life. Did that also complicate it for you in that way because they did love you so much? I think so in the beginning as it was starting to unravel. Yes. But where I'm at now, I realized they were lying to me to protect me in their mind. Because they used to call me the baby. I was always a baby. They want to protect the baby. So that comes along with a lot of love. And when you look at the bigger picture, like how can I be mad at people that wanted to love me and protect me so hard? That's what I kind of started to learn. And that's what gave me peace with everything. That initial moment when those papers slid out of that shelf and literally opened up to the page where it says adoption papers (laughs) and my parents' name and then my name on the original birth certificate, that was like a punch in the mouth. It was an interesting time in my life. Let's go back to your quest to find your birth parents or birth family. How did that happen? And how were you able to kind of do that and not feel as though you were betraying your parents? Because they weren't here so that you can actually have a conversation with them and be like, look, I'm going to go find my birth parents. You have to be okay with that, right? Like (laughs) you're doing this after they were gone. So what was that like? And did you have those moments where you were like, oh, I know that this is, in a sense, a complete betrayal to them because they would not want this to happen? Once they were gone, I kind of made peace with that. And it might sound a little hokey pokey because some people look at me when I say this, but like I used to have conversations with my parents, you know, and like almost negotiate, be like, I know you guys love me, but I need to know this. And I, I would actually ask for signs, be like, let me know this is okay. And the way I found my biological family is actually through Facebook. No. Yes. <laughs> do tell, do tell. I want to hear this. So I used to watch that show. I think, I don't remember, like Lifetime, it's Long Lost Family, where people that were given away for adoption eventually find their biological family. But they have these two detectives in a sense, and they would go through archives and find documentation like 
basically the old fashioned way. So I use some of that skill of like trolling the Facebook internets with my bio mom's name. And I found 300 people with her name on Facebook, all from Brazil. But luckily on the documentation, it said where she was from originally, which was in Fortaleza, which is another state. So I was born in Brasilia and she's all the way in the north of Brazil. So I went through (laughs) Facebook with this woman's name, Ana, and then Ana from Fortaleza. So that went from like 300 to like maybe 150. And then each time I just kept looking and kept looking, but I was looking for people that looked like me, which sounds ridiculous, right? I would go through these bouts of really wanting to find them. And then I would just give up and be like, you know what? Forget this. I'm not going to do it. It's not meant to be. And then one day I was watching that show, Long Lost Family, and I picked up my phone and I started trolling. I started trolling and I found three women that kind of looked like me that had her name that was from that area of Fortaleza. I start messaging this person's family. And I was like, well, a friend requested her. I messaged her in broken Portuguese that I used through Google Translate. This woman messages me back and it's just um, Francisca, my cousin. And she's like, oh, you're given away for adoption in Brasilia. And I gave her some details. I said, yes. She's like, well, I do know Anna. Let me call her right now. So she calls this woman. Now it's like 1230 at night here in New York. And she's all the way in Brazil in Fortaleza. And we get on Facebook together and we video chat. The moment I saw my bio mom, I knew it was her. How did that feel? Oh my God. I felt like I was floating. I felt like I wanted to throw up and cry. It was just so overwhelming, but it was so beautiful. My wife got to witness all the emotions all at once where she told me the story. She told me that everyone in the family knew about me. And she also told me that she's been waiting for me for 33 years to contact her because when she gave me away for adoption, she left me with a letter. When I wanted to, I could contact her, but my family never gave me that letter. Thank God for Facebook. (laughs) I'm sure that revelation was another gut punch for you. Yeah. See, yeah, that was definitely another moment where I got reignited with that anger and that frustration. Not only did they hide the adoption, but something that she wrote me, they also took away. And that to me was also very painful. But once again, it goes with the whole idea of them wanting to protect me and love me. So that's the story I tell myself to bit at ease in a sense. I've interviewed a couple of adoptees For a lot of people, adoptions where they knew they were adopted. For a lot of people, that becomes the most dominant narrative in their lives. And so for you, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of people have this quest and questioning and being burdened by this thought that they weren't wanted, that there's always this nagging aspect of what adoption really means, that your biological mother and father gave you up. And people do then when they reconnect with their biological parents, have this almost reckoning where they have to ask that question, like, why did you give me up? Did you have that? Or because your story is so unique in that you didn't know you were adopted until you were so much older that you're just grateful you found them. Have you thought about it from that perspective that in a way you didn't have your whole life questioning that big question of why was I given up? Instead, you're just like really grateful to found her. My struggle was like almost reversed in a sense. Instead of being like, oh, I was like abandoned or given up or whatnot. I was more like, why was I lied to my entire life? That was the pinch that I felt. But I did get the story of how and why she 
put me up for adoption. She already had two other kids at the time and she was struggling to take care of them. She was a housekeeper in Brasilia. The rest of her family was in Fortaleza. So she came to this very difficult decision to give me up. And uh, I, I appreciate her for that, for sure. And then you said that you got to meet your biological father as well? Thankfully, they're both really great people. Both sides of my bio family are amazing and very welcoming to me. And that's also been really overwhelming, but in the most positive sense is, you know, not to only be raised with a lot of love with my adoptive family, but to have a lot of love now with my biological family. That's wonderful. So I want to go back. You made a reference to the fact that your parents were conservative, your father being Greek, I'm assuming Greek Orthodox, and then your mother being Brazilian. As you were growing up, at what point did you know that you were gay and did that create any kind of friction in your family? Well, I think I was in first grade and I had this teacher, Miss Higgins, that I was like, you know, first grade crush. So from that moment, I felt very confused as a kid when it came to like crushes and attraction, I guess. And then, you know, I did the, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, you know, what society tells you is normal. You know, the, the hetero route had boyfriends here and there, but never really connected with them. I always felt like, meh, you know, not my thing. But, you know, my parents used to say some negative comments about people that were gay. So I knew that it was a bad thing. And then fast forward, I went to college. Thank God I went away. <laughs> so I could like grow and become my own human, you know, without that kind of negative influence in a sense. And when I was 21, after having a boyfriend for three years that I really love and care for, and we're still friends to this day, I came out and uh, it was not the best experience. My father, in the most loving way, in a sense, said, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, we'll find you a medication to help you. Woof, that was rough. And then my mom kind of was like, oh, sweetheart, don't worry, it's just a phase, you'll grow out of it. That was their initial response to me coming out, believe it or not. Like I said, there was a lot of love. So it's a confusing time for me when I was coming out because I knew that they loved me, but I felt that they didn't accept me. And that to me was also very hurtful. But the beautiful part of my biological family was, you know, they met me being gay, being married, and they love it. Like my bio mom is always asking about my wife and my bio dad and, you know, that side of the family never made me feel bad for being gay. That's something that's really amazing to experience and witness. Were they ever able to come to terms with your sexual identity before they passed? Or was it something that never got really fully discussed? Thankfully, yes. Once they saw me in a healthy, stable relationship with my now wife, you know, she was my girlfriend first and fiance, and they saw that I was with the same person. I was happy. She treated me well. They finally came to terms, but they still had these like awkward moments where like my mom were to introduce my fiance. She'd be like, oh, this is my daughter's friend. And I hated that. And I'm like, she's my fiance. But overall, towards the end of everything, especially my mom, my mom loves Carrie. Like she loved her. Carrie also was there to take care of her as well. So they got to see what this beautiful person that I was with and they finally came to terms. It just took them a while. I'm assuming that for you, the bigger narrative of the past seven years has not been about the reception of your sexual identity from your parents, but rather that you found out this massive secret. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I came to terms with who I am with my sexual identity at 21. 
I'm not going to not be who I am. I'm not going to cover it up, you know, because my mom used to like, you know, it's okay that you're gay, but like, you know, why do you have to dress like a man? And she used to hate that masculine side of me. And I'm like, because that's who I am. And I will never be feminine or more, I guess, girly in a sense. I never really was. So like when I came out, I'm like, are you really surprised? But somehow they were. And so where are you in the process of your grief, both of losing them, but also, I guess, grief of finding out that your life was really not what it thought it was. So where are you in that process at this moment in your life? I think reaching out, connecting with my biological family has helped me heal from the grief of losing my identity because I was always Greek Brazilian, Greek Brazilian. I had this beautiful story of my mom not being able to have a baby. And then all of a sudden she had me. And that's what really what I told people. But for me, my grief cycle, the way I remember it was grieving my mother, grieving my father, and then grieving myself and who I thought I was. And then that kind of circled around those three griefs, I guess. Then when I connected with my biological family, that grief of losing myself started to heal. And then I started to grow kind of like a new life or a new identity. Can you describe to us? It's funny because 30 is, you know, you're fully formed as a human at that point. And your identity is pretty set. So can you tell us in the ways in which it has shifted you and more importantly, shifted your identity and your understanding of yourself? I think for me personally, I still have moments when someone first meets me, I still say I'm Greek and Brazilian because I am. That's never going to leave me just because genetically I might not be those things. I was raised in that environment. So I still hold that very closely to my heart. For me, having that connection to my biological family, I think is the key thing that regardless of where I am, I'm always going to be a blend of my adoptive and my biological family. It's kind of like a confusing feeling for me sometimes because honestly, sometimes I forget. (laughs) I'm adopted. It hits me every once in a while, especially when I meet new people and I have new connections and they're like, oh, Greek and Brazilian. And then I totally forget to tell them that I'm adopted, but I don't have to always come out with that too. To me, it depends on the time and place and like my feeling and who's there because that's a kind of a vulnerable topic to open up with just strangers and constantly talk about. So sometimes I just kind of shelf it. You feel sensitive about it or the topic is loaded because you're adopted or because of the way in which you found out you were adopted? The way. Because I'm sure if I knew since I was little then and I wouldn't even think about it, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, I have my adoptive parents, which I call my parents, and then I have my biological parents. It's just a lot to unload on someone when you meet people for the first time. I'm not going to be like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm adopted. You know, like it's just, it's this thing that I only like to share when I feel comfortable or if I feel the space allows it. And do you feel that reluctance because in a way you don't want to cast your parents in a bad light? Mm. (laughs) Wow, you hit something, didn't you? I'm sure that's a huge part of it. That's a huge part of it to just open up with with just random people and share something that's so personal and deep. Sometimes I feel like it stings more than other times, but the overall picture and the overall sense of peace that I give myself is they kept that adoption for me out of a form of love, not to hurt me purposely. It ended up hurting me, you know, significantly. But at the same time, I have to look at what the bigger picture and what they were feeling and understand it from their lens as well. I'm going to just ask the question 
Do you ever have moments where you regret that that box flew off the shelf and opened up and you found out the truth? Honestly, no, because that box, that documentation that I found gave me a sense of peace because I finally figured out who I truly am. And because I always knew something was different innately, it gave me that peace from that. That is a great place to end. So I'm going to ask the last question. Can you name a song that either resonates with you or feels as if it was written about or for you? What is it and why? When you first asked me that, the main thing that I thought of is this song photographed by Ed Sharon. That song resonated with me so deeply right after my mom passed. So I, I remember specifically, it was August 17th, 2015. I just got the news and I went out for coffee. I actually forced myself to leave the house and I was at the deli getting coffee. And all of a sudden I felt this overwhelming sense of grief, start crying and the song came on. There's this line where it says, we keep this love in a photograph. I had my mom on my phone and there's this connection with the song photographed by Ed Sharon and my mom. So when I think of music, when I think of something like that, that's the one song that popped in my head. No, I think what's beautiful about it is that it goes back to your love and their love. So Catherine, I know that you are in fitness and also body work. So can you tell people how they can reach you if they have questions or if they want to know more about your business? Sure. I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok under Cat Parthenades. So I'll spell my last name because I'm pretty sure I'm the only Cat Parthenades on social media. It's uh, P-A-R-T as in Thomas, H-E-N-I-A-D as in David, E-S as in Sam, Cat Parthenades. And you can find me through social media. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I know that your story is incredibly moving. I'm moved by it. And I'm sure that as complicated as it has been for you the past seven years, I think what I heard throughout this interview was the complication was because you were so loved. Exactly. And that's it. And that's a beautiful place to land in one's life is to know that you've been so loved. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that could've, should've, would've.